everybody to another edition of the behind the curtain series on the web.com podcast we have reached the end almost we have reached one of our last two teams standing in the 2020 season one of the most successful owners in web.com's young history a man who will be able to build on this idea of sustained success that we have talked about in recent editions the legendary big 5 owner of the currently named DK Metcalf's biceps Dan is back on the podcast what is going on Dan well, you know, we're glad to be back, but we're a little disappointed we're not the last one that you're interviewing. <laughs> but I suppose we're glad to be here nonetheless. It's going to be nice. It's been a minute since we had you on, so we're going to have a lot to talk about today. For sure. Frazier is here. Hello, yeah. Frazier. Hi. Hi, he's, everybody. Yeah, he's, 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 he's in the <laughs> building as well. <laughs> Frazier is here. Um. All right. Well, let's let's just get rolling. I think we got a lot to cover on this one, like we had with Dave on the last one. So um, I want to start in 2019, like I have been for a lot of teams, just because, um, in particular for your team. I mean, you were you were coming off of uh, 2018, where you missed the postseason for the first time ever, um, and 2019 was a return for you. I mean, you you it was a patented Dan season. A very slow start, a dominant second half. You made the postseason, um, but you you know you once again coming out of 2019, you couldn't catch a break in the playoffs, um, and you end up getting bounced. So, uh, what coming out of that loss to my team and and you know seeing another postseason disappointment there, um, where was the mentality heading into the 2020 offseason? Uh, the mentality going into the 2020 off season was probably a little bit. I really differed from kind of how I normally run my team. I feel like last off season, um, normally I feel like I'm one to, at least in the recent years, kind of diversify my assets, um, maybe trade some bigger names, like I did with like that Alvin Kamara uh, deal the year before. Um, really coming into 2020 though, um, I was all in. Um, made a few trades to make that happen. Um, I'm sure we'll get to those and talk about how they went, but we were all in for 2020. Yeah. And I mean, that, that is no surprise because you were widely picked going into the 2020 season as a favorite as you normally are, but I feel like even more so 2020, it seemed like I was coming off the title and yet, you know, there was a, certainly a lot of buzz around your squad in terms of, you know, the big five title and the championship favorite. Um, you know, did you feel, I mean, we're going to hit on a lot of these moves that you made during the off season, but just kind of prefacing that, did you feel like a favorite for the championship come game time in 2020? Yeah. And I think 2020 for the first year and probably a while i I, in my head, did feel like the favorite. Like, yeah. I had super high expectations for myself. I feel like, you know, we've been doing this for, what, seven, eight, eight? This is going to be year nine, right? Year nine, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We've been doing this for a while, and I feel like, outside of that first year, I've always been, and you said it, I've always been one of the favorites. Yep. Always been right there. I don't even have that many big five titles. 
Um, it's usually been someone else at the top. But I felt like this year coming into 2020, the team was really as good as it's been since that Dan draft. Um, I had some really high expectations. I felt like I really sold out for for last year. So, yeah, I did feel like a, the favorite going into the season. Not to disrespect your team. It was a great team, obviously. Oh, yeah. still still put up the huge numbers this year. Obviously came out with the repeat. But I did feel like the favorite going into 2020. Yeah, I remember a little pushback on the pod when we all picked Mingo to be the Big Five champion. There was a, there was a little rivalry brewing before the year. I mean, we have a little yeah. bit of history as it is as Big Five teams, but I felt like there was it was certainly like a which side are you on on the Dan Mingo debate heading into the year. That was a good one. Yeah. So the first trade that kind of kicked off this twenty twenty off season that we talked about was getting up to that 1.01 with Dave. Uh, do you want to take us behind the scenes a little bit at how that big, big as in player, big trade kind of came together? I mean, it just, just kind of happened. Uh, we were, I think, hanging out at the apartment in Appleton. Leah was there. Katie was there. They were getting mad at us for talking about fantasy football. <laughs> so, of course, we had to do it more and come up with a trade. Um, I, think it also, I believe this was when... Me and Dave were actually together. If you guys remember, like at the start of would have been around this time that I was doing like a trade summary of people from the prior oh, year. Yeah. <laughs> and like I was doing like this is what I think they kind of like net gained and net lost and whatever. And we were yeah. going through that whole thing and just kind of looking at some of the big deals that had happened. Dave kind of revealed that he wasn't super into making that 1.01 pick. And it was just like, oh, you don't say. And I mean, I was sitting I at five like and to. six. Yeah, I was sitting at five and six at the time, and like I, I loved those two picks. I loved where I was, but it just seemed like Dave was gonna be willing to come off of that one point oh one for a, a relatively reasonable price. And you know, I'm just looking at the trade here. We got DeForest Buckner, Sam Darnold, Tony Pollard, Joey Sly, three point oh seven, twenty twenty one second. So it's just. At the time, honestly, I was like, hey, I can get 1.01, and I can make some roster space. Yeah. I don't think it ended up being, like, a bad trade for Dave. Like, I think he ended up getting his guy. I think he picked up some... Buckner's a great defensive piece. I mean, he's riding with Joey Sly at kicker right now. So, I mean, he picked up something out of it. The thing that hurt Dave was where he could have... If he would have waited probably until after the NFL draft, he probably could have got pretty probably a better haul but if he was dead i mean and you see i eventually went and got saquon with that pick right yeah exactly well okay so but here's the thing so we i mean we obviously talked to dave on the podcast earlier this week and um his perspective on it was that he was taking judy one anyway so he he was ready to move back uh, when you traded for the first pick, was that with a player in mind or was that more so just taking the value and with the expectation of probably moving on? I had absolutely no player in mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think the expectation was it's 1.01. It's going to have value to me in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see what happens. I'll either have fun making the pick. I'll trade down and hope it would have been two years in a row, too. Yeah. Especially with all those running backs that came out, just odds were that one or two of them were going to get into premium spots. 
right? That's probably where the mindset was at the time. Just like, I like these running backs. Which ones fall into a good spot? And that kind of ended up that they all did. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, okay. So you also had six. So you started with five and six and you ended up with nothing by the end of it. And, you know, the six was obviously used in the Chris Godwin trade. So that was sort of a contested trade at the time. Some people were pretty against that and others were on board with the value there. Um, so, you know, from your perspective, I mean, what was it about that trade that, you know, you said, I'm going to go out and get Chris Godwin at this price? Well, believe it or not, Josh actually approached me with this deal moving off of Chris Godwin. Um, and that's probably really the only reason it happened. I don't know that I would have gone out seeking it, mm-hmm. but once I got that Chris Godwin in my head, like I loved him coming out of Penn state. Like if Josh wouldn't have reached for him reached at the time, you know, we all thought right. so like he was a huge target of mine. I for sure would have been snagging him up at the end of the first early second. I think I had a pretty sure I had a pick in that range. Um, I think might've ended up being Dante Pettis. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think it anyway. was Kamara. Let me look. Was it? Oh, yeah, it was Kamara. Oh, <laughs> good twelve. <laughs> okay, well oh, that worked out, I guess. But anyway, I love Godwin. Um, I've been—I never even tried to acquire him because I never would have thought to ask. Because I think most of us would have assumed that that's a guy that just wasn't moving off of Josh's team. Uh, that's going to become a common theme as we talk about some of these Josh <laughs> trades. But um. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was an opportunity to get younger, get a guy who was the wide receiver to the season before. Um, I thought it would improve my starting lineup at least a little bit. I was a little shaky with like the whole Brady coming in situation, um, them moving off of Jameis. Um, I don't know. I talked myself into it, and ultimately, this is probably my... Ah, God, I don't even say my biggest regret, but I do kind of regret this trade. Like Looking at it now... Allen Robinson uh, outscored Chris Godwin this season, made my starting lineup worse. Um, and then you got that 1.06 hanging out there. That's now DeAndre Swift for Josh's team. Yeah. So it's like, would I trade? Allen Robinson then got moved for two firsts. Like, would I trade Chris Godwin for 1.06 and two firsts right now? I I would. Yeah. So It's interesting I mean, how it develops like that over time. Yeah, there's two two controversial trades that came in this offseason with the A.J. Brown trade and this trade where the chat got kind of spicy and both of them have kind of flipped. Yeah, and it's not like a bad... I still don't think it's like a bad deal. I I still love Chris Godwin. Like, I'm I'm a believer in the player. I think he's got big years ahead of him, but it's just, you know, I feel like it could have possibly helped the team more to hold on to that Allen Robinson on the pick. Yeah. So before we before we get to the draft, I mean, at this point, you're still holding 1.01. But uh, in between that and the draft was the expansion draft in which your star studded defense was a um, sort of marketplace for the expansion team, specifically Riley. So, I mean, we haven't really talked to a lot of owners about the expansion draft and what they lost, but it it definitely seems like your defense coming out of that expansion draft was in one of the worst places of any team that had lost assets. So 
what was the process like in recovering what you lost there and kind of rebuilding a defense that has been perennially a top scorer in the league? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I did not expect what happened to my defense to happen during that expansion draft. Um, it was a surprise to me. I did not expect to lose, I'd say arguably at the time, three top 10 dynasty linebackers, like a top two safety and then another good safety. Um, it was, it kind of put me in a position where I was definitely forced to make some moves on defense. Like mm -hmm. I've invested in defense before. Like I, at the time, I think I drafted the two earliest guys ever with uh, Roquan and Tremaine. Um, but there was no way I was going to be able to field a a defense that would bring me in line with my expectations for 2020 uh, without in, in really investing in it. So that was where you kind of saw. I mean, and you can see with some of the moves that I made just even right after that expansion draft, going out and getting Miles Garrett, um, trading for Jesse Bates, um, a couple other smaller moves. I definitely was a focus to get that defense back into shape before the season. Yeah, even in every like little trade, like Deion Jones for Le'Veon and a lot of nice little moves there. Yeah, you do a good job there of rebuilding this decimated defense, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a quite finished product yet. You, you add Miles Garrett, obviously, that's the the exclamation point on it all, but. Um, it seemed likely that heading into draft night, you would potentially be targeting some defensive players as well as you have in the past, like you mentioned with Roquan and Tremaine. That was sort of a trend-setting move at that time. Um, but, you know, obviously you weren't doing that at 1.01, and the night begins, and you're on the clock, and suddenly one of the biggest announcements in web history is made that you traded out of the pick. <laughs> um like a, a month few, ago like, yeah like a couple months ago <laughs> so i mean we i mean we talked to calvin about this but as the team that was holding the top pick and traded out what was it about that offer that made you pull the trigger and and dip out of the first round in one of the best classes in recent memory uh i wanted squan makes sense right <laughs> <laughs> um there were there were this is a while in the process we all know cal doesn't like to make deals super quick so this was one that was bounced back and forth a lot there were talks with that 1.01 with derrick henry um there was some time where it was like i was trying to think if i was into doing 1.01 and derrick henry which i'm really glad i didn't um but that was i believe i don't know if that was offer was ever out there officially but it was definitely discussed and then it kind of just came like, I don't really want to trade Derrick Henry because I'm trying to make this push for this year. So I'm just like, we'll just do the two firsts instead. Um, Cal was feeling better about that uh, than Derrick Henry. So we kind of ended up just pulling the trigger. And I think, honestly, for both of us, the allure of being able to um, do the like 1.01 .01 draft day trade, I think that might have <laughs> talked Cal over the edge. <laughs> Just being able to pull a stunt like that, um, being a part of that, was was kind of a just a fun little bonus for the trade. Stunts can be a valuable negotiation tool. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and that it was another instance of sort of a a 
polarizing move. I think you had some owners that said, is that really only the price for Saquon? And others said, you know, that that's a massive haul. Um, but, you know, obviously we'll talk about this later on. You eventually did move on. But, um, you know, at that time, you know, how did you feel about just purely based off of the value? Did you think it was a good value add for you getting Saquon there or did it kind of hurt to give up what you did? I mean, I've never really been a guy. I would never really traded those future first a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, feel like I've kind of held on to those. This was really, especially after that Chris Godwin trade, probably my biggest like all in move ever. Um, just like selling out to get a player. Um, you know, I felt good about the value at the time. I liked last year's draft class. I wasn't, like I said, I, I didn't have a particular target at that 1.01. It was just like, well, who's my guy? And this was kind of like my thing all off season. Everyone asked me, who's your, do you got a guy at 1.01? And yeah. I kept saying, yeah, I got yeah. a guy. You just didn't necessarily know that guy. was. <laughs> but That makes a lot of sense now, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, I felt good about it, like, adding Saquon to the lineup, like, I just, you know, there's always that bonus of just, like, you know, open up the roster, get a little bit of roster in, seeing that name there, Um, so I definitely loved the trade at the time, and was, like, thrilled to be able to acquire him, it's the kind of guy that you don't often think you're gonna be able to get your hands on. Right, yeah. Was the... 101, I think you've answered this before, but would it have been JT? Or you were, were you a CEH guy? I probably would have traded out of it. <laughs> no matter but what, if I would have you stuck, were done. It probably would have been CEH. Okay. Well, that settles that, I guess. Mm-hmm. The, the age-old debate of who's Dan taking that became yeah. completely irrelevant. I remember thinking about it for months. <laughs> What's life uh, thought? mystery that's right well so you trade out obviously lance Aquan. that's the move of your night but there was a little bit of a bigger story happening with your draft night and eventually what happened um so you, i mean you did get isaiah simmons in the second so you targeted your defense as expected but then in the third you did something a little bit unexpected which was that you selected tua and Justin Herbert in the third round. So the 25th pick and the 31st pick doubling up on quarterbacks as the team with Patrick Mahomes. Was that a plan going into the night or was that more of a reaction based off of how the board fell? That was a reaction of getting trashed. That's nice. That's see, that's <laughs> so, why I like that answer. I <laughs> ended up working out. I no, wait until you hear what my plan actually was. Oh boy. Okay. So my only plan for that dra- going into draft night last year was Antonio Gibson, no matter what. <laughs> boy. Oh man. Uh, I had, I believe it was two point two point oh nine or two point ten. Um uh, I think he was he went to pick after the pick I had. And all of a sudden, I start to see Isaiah Simmons slip in, have a few drinks, and it's like, ah, wouldn't cost much to go get him. So I did. <laughs> and then later on, you start to see Tua slipping, and you have a few drinks, and you're like, hey, it it's wouldn't cost that much to go get him. So <laughs> I did. 
then your brain starts to justify that pick. You're thinking, we've had super flex talks. This could be a bargain. You see Caleb out here drafting Jordan Love, and you see Justin Herbert still sitting there, and your brain goes, hey, it wouldn't take too much to go get him. <laughs> so I did. I was so was close. Funny. So close to just nailing Herbert and Jeremy Chin with my two picks, and you ruined it. <laughs> Sorry. It, that is interesting, though, because, you know, you it's funny because you get drunk and you make some moves that you don't necessarily expect. But there was a lot of buzz heading into draft night about the quarterbacks because we had had this super flex discussion the day before. And so nobody really knew what to expect. We knew that Joe Burrow was going to go in the first to Tim. That was known. But there was all sorts of rumors that Tua might go in the first. You know, we had seen numerous quarterbacks go in the second over the last few years, and they both fell into the mm-hmm. third round. So, I mean, it is interesting because you weren't necessarily expecting to make those moves, and you may have been a little influenced. But, I mean, I, to see both of those players go in the third round, I think it was ultimately exceptional value. Yeah, especially at the time with, because I don't know if, it feels like a long time ago, but there were for sure super flex talks happening. And I know it had been voted down for that uh, that particular year, but it was definitely something that I think people were still thinking about at the time. And I was just like, if we go here in even like two years, these picks are going to be massive Great. for me. So it was just kind of a taking a shot like that. And it ended up working out, but you ended up trading both of them probably, or at least Herbert a little bit too early. Is that something that maybe I know you've been, we've been mocking quarterbacks to you in the second. Is that something you might try and do again this year? I don't know. We'll see how the board falls. (laughs) I'm not really sure what to expect in that late second right now. So. Okay. Well, you got a little bit of time. I'm gonna we're gonna come back to the draft near the end. So start thinking about uh, what your big board looks like, or if you want to throw some smoke out there. But, um, so you come out of the draft, and you know you you obviously have Saquon now, and you already had a loaded roster, and uh, so you know you mentioned that you're you're going into the season as in your eyes the favorite. Um, and you kind of had a classic dance start to the season. Um, it was it was very good. You had you know these giant two hundred and thirty plus point games, but you also had kind of these little lulls, and you end you end up starting the year four and three at the at the midway point, which wouldn't necessarily be what you maybe were expecting. So, um, you know. What was it? And obviously the Saquon injury happens as well. So that plays a part in this. So this is kind of a two-parter. The Saquon trade. Take us through it. Take us through the mentality there and what that looked like and, you know, getting Darius Leonard and all of that. And then the bigger picture of it all was, you know, generally with that trade and kind of your results through the first half, where was your head at moving into that second half of the season? So the Squan injury happened obviously like early week two of the season. And I had just been coming off an off season where I had 
gone as all in as I ever have. So I have that mentality, and I think that's just really what fueled that Saquon, that second Saquon trade. Was it's like this team is ready? Um, we got Derrick Henry coming off a huge season, prime for another one. You got Mahomes, Tyreek. You got all these pieces in place. You just kind of sold out for this, not sold out for this season, because I really, I sold out, but I picked up younger guys um, with Godwin and Saquon. But I guess the mentality was like. You can't have this hole in your lineup this year if you really want to win. Mm -hmm. So I guess the move was just thinking about, okay, what can I do to now take this massive hole left by Saquon and kind of maybe turn it into a positive? So going out and picking up a guy, an impact guy like Darius Leonard, who I think had a, I guess, not what we normally expect out of Darius Leonard, but still like finish as the linebacker seven after even missing some games. It's like picking up a guy like him was huge. And then Miles Sanders, kind of like a good young back, for sure. obviously not in that Saquon tier, but like someone you can feel good about plugging in as pretty good about plugging in as your RB2 with some upside and some youth. So honestly, this this trade was my biggest regret of the season. Hmm. Hmm. Um, production that I did end up getting out of Miles Sanders, just like it wasn't worth it. So like, if you were to redo it, would you keep Saquon the whole year, or or would you wait to not do this trade and maybe wait till something else came up? I would have kept Saquon. I wish I would. I do wish I would have kept Saquon. Like you, like I said earlier on, like you dream about the chance to acquire a guy like Saquon. Um, I can tell you right now, I'd feel better about my team going into this season if I had Saquon in my lineup. Um, sure. I feel like I could have found that running back production that I was looking for with a guy like Miles Sanders somewhere else without, yeah. you know, giving up this, this, you know, generational talent. Well, and that's what it does to you, man. When you have the expectations and you are hungry to win at all costs, you know, you're going to make sacrifices that, you know, in the heat of the battle, you know, you're not really thinking about it, but then suddenly when the smoke clears, it's like, well, goddammit, I just <laughs> traded Squat Barkley. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess that's sort of where my the larger question there came from, because it, it seemed to me as though with the combination of the expectations and not a not a shaky start, but not the start that you maybe were expecting um, you know, how much pressure were you putting on yourself, you know, not even just including that Saquon trade, but moving towards trade deadline season? I mean, how much pressure were you feeling or or were you confident that your team was going to pull a second half Dan special? Yeah, I mean, I was feeling even after the Saquon trade, Miles Sanders in the lineup, I was feeling good about the roster. I mean, there was some kind of like spotty injuries towards the start of the season, but going into the final stretch, I wasn't really feeling pressured to make any moves. I mean, I think like most of us, I kicked the tires on James Robinson, but just didn't feel like something I was super into. Um, I don't know. Obviously, yeah, the pressure was there, but I was pretty content going in with the, the roster that I had. You got some secret sauce to the second half strength because I might need some. <laughs> Oh God! Um, like, can you, you please know, talk oh. about this. This is ridiculous. It's, just, yeah, it's like every year. What's what's everyone? 
Fraser, I want your secret sauce for starting out like <laughs> six and oh, six and one, six and two with like slightly above average rosters. Because <laughs> I, I want in on that secret sauce. You know, the the late surges are great and they're they're fun when they're happening, but like I cannot remember the last time my playoff life was not on the line week 14. I'm pretty sure 2013 is the last time that like I had a, I had a playoff spot locked up um, before the final week of the season. Um, we just need to combine the sauces. <laughs> yes. And then give me your playoff record. Also give me that. So that's the crazy part is I'm feel like I'm famous for these late season surges and then just completely fizzle in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. It's just ridiculous how consistent it is too, where it's just like, how many times have we seen this where, you know, obviously you've been in much worse situations in the first half multiple times and come back. But I mean, still, when you look at the second half of the season, I mean, you, you literally started, you're coming off a of week seven, 145, a loss the second half starts and you instantly have a week high 244. You go back to back 200 point weeks, you drop one and then you run four straight, including reclaiming the scoring single game record, um, which you've held multiple times. So, I mean, just kind of ridiculous, but I I'm kind of interested to hear your take on something that we were pushing on the podcast for most of the year, which is this idea that you are a boom or bust team. That's like our favorite phrase to use when we talk about your team. I want to hear from you. Do you feel like that is a deserved phrase or is that something that we've sort of abused and and you don't really see your team that way? I mean, at this point it's kind of hard to argue. And (laughs) I think that's just, I don't know. Some of it is the players like, um, for example, like a guy like Derek Henry, who I absolutely love having on the roster and he does huge things for me on a regular basis. But especially going to this half PPR, he's not catching passes. It's like if he doesn't score a touchdown, like his his floor is pretty low. Um, That's a guy. And then you got a guy like Tyreek, who actually came much more consistent this year. DK was up and down for me. I mean, partially a product of the guys. And then it just seems like when they do have their little slumps or, you know, their bad games, it just always happens at the same time. So I don't really have an answer. I don't feel like there's anything I do with my team build that leads to this happening. Really? It just, I didn't know if it was a, it was a strategic choice that you had made or if it was just pure chance. Nah, just kind of feels like it happens, but it's hard to argue with, the fact that it exists. I'm just glad that the phrase that the talking heads are beating into the ground is at least a little bit warranted. So yeah. <laughs> hey, we're not just know. we're not just trying to sell the news here. <laughs> I don't ever bust like too bad though. True. Because you guys told me and I didn't know that I'd never had a week low. Yeah. So, yeah. That streak always is still going eight years in. Eight years in, no week wild. lows. I still don't even believe that. Yeah, that's insane. So, well, before we before we kind of cap off 2020, obviously it ended pretty damn good for you. But um, 
you you pick DK Metcalf first overall, and this was a name again that we talked about extensively on the podcast this year. Um, it you kind of became the poster child of grabbing your guy. Um, I think it instills confidence in people to see this sort of situation happen and to feel the confidence to go out and just, you know, screw ADP and I'm taking my guy. So I just want to give you an opportunity to riff a little bit on DK, what he means to you, what the pick means to you. And, you know, feel free to cry. It's, you know, whatever it takes here. But, yeah, let's hear it. So... I used to take the fantasy football thing, and I still do. I take it very seriously. Like, I love the game, but it's like, I feel like I used to put trying to win or like screw people over in trades, or I used to put all of that stuff over actually having fun. Uh, you lose enough championships, and you start to kind of have to change your perspective. <laughs> so, we've kind of transitioned to like, I'm going to have some fun, and it's just more fun when you got your guys on your roster. Like I, when I got a guy in the draft, or I'd rather see him fail on my team than succeed somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and you know, I wish I even stuck to that better because I've had guys in the past like that. I just said Antonio Gibson year before it was Terry McLaurin, where it's like I love those guys, and I wish I would have stuck my neck out for them a little bit more. So I think I'd encourage everyone to do it. Just get your guy. Like, whatever it takes, make it happen. Um, Don't be afraid of the ADP. Um, DK specifically, um, that was one of those where it's like like pre-draft. I just loved the play. I was just like drooling at the potential upside I saw in DK. Um, That was a time me and Dave were living together. We were watching a lot of wide receivers, and we both loved DK. Um, I made the move to get the pick, obviously, um, pretty early. And he was my guy the whole time. And then draft day happened and we just, I'm just like sitting here, just like watching the slide. And I'm like, I oh. how do you take him 1.01? And then yeah. I just keep watching the slide. And then before you know it, he's the 10th wide receiver drafted. And I'm just like, can I still do this? <laughs> and then I talked myself into it and I did. So is there some yeah. sick, sick part of you that Nikhil Harry busting so hard makes it feel even better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous, though. That's the part of the story that gets lost is that, you know, not only did you completely go against ADP and, you know, just completely stick your neck out, but. The guy was the 10th wide receiver picked in the draft. I mean, there were so many guys that the NFL supposedly believed in more and you still had, you know, the conviction to to take this guy. And I mean, it has completely worked out for you. It's amazing. Yeah. That said, I only recommend doing that with good players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Not like I'm out here sticking my neck out for wide receiver nine right before DK Metcalf. Andy Isabella, first overall. Let's do it. Oh God! Hey, don't tell Josh, man. He's your three breakout. Here we go. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, all right. So, yeah, the DK parade came to town. There was lots of buzz there. You obviously have a lot of other superstar talents on your roster, and it all culminated into finally 
after all these years of Mingo and Parker and Carter slipping in there, you finally reclaimed the big five. You you overtook Dave. We talked to Dave about his hot start last year. It seemed like he was unstoppable, and you overtook him in scoring, um, finished as scoring champ yet again. Um, so, you know, massive accomplishments for your squad and and, you know, kind of, um, validating your own expectations for your, for your team. Um, but what were you thinking going into that first playoff game? Because you hadn't won a playoff game since 2015. So where was the confidence at, um, going into that first weekend? It had been since 2015. 2015 was your last playoff win. That is a remarkable stat, but that is true. Uh, we felt pretty good going up against Frazier. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't just absolutely terrified of the playoffs. Um, at this point, I just need this monkey off my back so bad. <laughs> like, I was feeling great. The squad was cooking. Like, it was time. It was the year. We were finally going to do it. And then we just we just kind of fizzled again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Ran but, into a 260 bomb. Yeah, you know, it happens. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in a second. So, yeah, I mean, we, when we talked to Frazier, I mean, the, you guys sort of have this little playoff rivalry. I mean, your two franchises are the embodiments of sustained success, um, one in the Pac-5 and one in the Big 5. So you've met numerous times. Um, and, yeah, you, you beat him. You've, you finally kind of conquered him. For the first time since 2015 and um you know put up 180 a solid performance and you're going into the title game so you know this is your moment um and you're going up against the former champ and the and your big five rival so um you know obviously you had confidence but what were you thinking? What, how, like, what emotions were you feeling heading into that championship weekend? Was it nervous? Was it excited? Where were you at at that point? Yup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Like I said, I was feeling good about the team. Like I yeah. thought this was the year. Um, you know, the, you said the 180 not a bad score. I I guess I disagree. Like our scoring buffs, you can't be putting up 180 in the playoffs. Like that's not going to win you a ring. Definitely didn't this year. Um, but the the mentality was just like, I don't know. It's almost like I feel less. Ah, oh, this is going to sound weird, but I feel less excited to win a championship than I f- do just like feeling like I got to get this monkey off my back. Like I've been in the. This was my eighth year in the playoffs, and I have the one ring in 2013, and it just. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's I want it. <laughs> Dan it's it is powerful. It is. And that's a real thing. I mean, that, that that's, I mean, what it goes back to is, is exactly what you just said. I mean, the 2020 was year eight. You were seven for eight on postseason appearances. You were a multiple time scoring champion Um, you know, you, you've been one of the best teams nearly every single year. I I believe it was, it wasn't until 
God, I don't I, there was a ridiculous stat like you were in the top three in scoring like every single season. You, that may still be true, honestly. I don't even know. You may be a top three scoring team every single year. But um, so you have this this dominant force. And yeah, the, the curse of the Dan draft has proven to be a real thing after um, you get that inaugural ring. Um so I mean, yeah, it it that's tough. The the feeling of you know winning certainly uh, would be benefited just by the feeling of relief that comes with finally doing it again. His 2013 feels like so long ago. Yeah, I it's... mean, you guys have heard me say plenty of times, like that I've always had the view that making the playoffs is what takes skill. Winning a championship takes a lot of luck. Uh, it's starting to get harder for me to say that because <laughs> feels like if it was luck, it would have happened again by now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't know. I did some soul searching this off season and that's where you really see me sell in. I feel like previously I'd always bet I've always been about that sustained success that you've been talking about. And I've been willing to make um, some moves that sacrifice a little bit now to continue that success. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of tried to change tracks on that again a little bit going into this season just because obviously it wasn't winning me rings so that was really what spurred the kind of 2020 all-in push dan's lowest war plus 2.37 in 2019 i'm pretty sure there's a handful of teams that have never had one higher than that (laughs) 2019 so lat oh yeah 2019 yep gotcha yep that was the another one in six start or whatever Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that says it all right there. I mean, um, and, you know, obviously that what happened in the title game, you kind of run into some circumstances like, you know, it does come down to a lot of luck. Miles Gaskin ends up becoming a league winning player. You know, these. You had to say the name. <laughs> Whoops. Hey, where'd that come from? Oh, it's out there now. I When you changed his nickname to that, what, like a couple weeks ago, I was just like, <sighs> it just really, uh, really brought up feels. Hey, and all, it all comes back around because Miles Gaskin comes home because I drafted Antonio Gibson and then traded him and that was your guy. And so we got a whole... Wrap it back saga. around. You'd have, so if you'd have drafted, I would have drafted, you'd have drafted him, yeah, you would have. You never would have gotten Gaskin, which means Gaskin would have never scored 35 points against me in the title game. That's right. See, can't get drunk on draft night anymore. The moral of that story is always, always take your guys, no matter what. It might cost yeah. you a title if you don't. It's like some sort of weird love triangle between you two and Caleb, and only one of you came out a loser. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you obviously come out of that game, it's super disappointing, but you still have, you know, one of, if not the best teams going into 2021. But I want to kind of, you know, go go off of the road a little bit here and, and really dial in on this idea that we've been hitting on with some of these top teams, which is sustained success, because you are the embodiment of that. Um, Frazier, you know, has it in the form of conference domination. He owned his own conference for, you know, seven years, but, um, that's a pack five. Well, <laughs> right. So you've been competing over there in the big five with, you know, numerous multi-time champions over there. And yet you've still been able to 
put yourself in that, you know, postseason um, race and ultimately get into the postseason nearly every single season. So um, what is it to you or, you know, obviously you came in with a different skill set than everyone, everybody else in 2013, but how have you evolved from that point in terms of the things that you're looking for in order to make ensure that you have that success year in and year out? I guess it's acquiring value where you can. Um, it's not thinking, I guess, too much about what your lineup's going to look like in the off season. I feel like something I've become pretty good at in the last few years is like you might look at my draft pick pool every year and be like, oh, he doesn't have that many picks. And then I just kind of slowly acquire uh, seconds and thirds by like either throw-ins or like I'll upgrade a third to a second um, or just like being willing to let go of a guy. Um, what some people might think is a little cheaply, but if you feel like that player is about to fall off a cliff, like get out. Like, I feel like I have examples of that. Like uh, AJ green, I feel like is the pinnacle. I don't know if anyone else has given me a first for him. So thanks Carter, but you know, well, trades like old, that. I think 11 people are on the same page. <laughs> yeah. But then like, even like earlier this year, like getting off a guy like Le'Veon bell or just like, taking deals that like don't really feel like you're making that much money at the time. But a year from now, you know, you're going to, you're pretty confident. You're going to look back and you'll be like, I'm glad I did that. So just, I guess being able being willing to get off of guys, um, a year early, I feel like it's kind of helped me keep my pick capital up, which I feel like is, is something I try to do. Like even selling out what I felt like selling out, you know, going into this season, um, I didn't have any 2020, one or 2022 picks really it's like i'm now sitting here ready to make four second round picks so i mean that's that's part of it is just kind of being willing to really just turn over that that bottom half of your roster um moving off of guys that kind of feel like roster cloggers and just being able to get something for them even if it doesn't feel like it's the appropriate value yeah i think the Le'Veon trade is kind of the perfect example of that because he was still like Jets starter at that point and right. he had the got name rid of him yeah for two thirds in a in a linebacker in March. So just low key and turn those thirds and Le'Veon's worth almost nothing at this point. Not even maybe one third. No, I wouldn't give a I wouldn't give a fourth for him. So <laughs> I he I'd be cutting him. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean and that's that is interesting because I think like guys like that, where you, you maybe f- on the other side of things, like you're feeling like, okay, maybe I can get this like sneaky production for a relatively low price. But I mean, we've seen it just completely, you know, go off the cliff and, and suddenly that player is just completely worthless. So, right. The sneaky production is something you got to be careful with. I feel like, and like, I don't want to like, obviously I'm not trying to, pick on you core if you want to ring with it but like given the first for like a guy like raheem mostert like i feel like my that's guy the kind of, i feel like that's the kind of thing that i try to avoid and it ends up putting you kind of in a that's where you feel like you end up in those pick depleted situations is i like if i'm gonna trade assets like in a seat in season to try to improve the starting lineup um it's usually gonna be for a guy that i feel like has a better longer term outlook um unless i'm really getting the really getting a deal 
but I don't know. I don't know. I guess I just even in season like the Saquon thing, it's like that was a little bit of a panic sell, but like I still made sure I went out and got some younger guys. And mm-hmm. I've never really I've never ridden a guy off into the sunset. That has never happened on my team. Um I think Derrick Henry's gonna change that. <laughs> yeah. Just because right now he's a guy that I just like coming off a two thousand yard season and I don't feel like I'd even get like top five, top ten dynasty running back value for him. So it's like he's a guy that I do see that happening with, but honestly, it's never happened for me. Like even guys that are like long term staples, your AJ Greens, um, your Le'Veon Bells, like a lot of the names that you think about with my roster, like they moved. Um oh. Maybe a, a year too early, but like I'd rather do that than a year too late. So I think that's that's something I also try to do. That's why I, these conversations are so interesting because of the just there's so many different ways to approach it, and I feel like you know we've we've talked to some teams like your team Frazier or you know a Dave who's coming up now in the ranks, ready for his era. Um, and just the differences in approach, like, I mean, you mentioned like, uh, me being an owner that's willing to shell out firsts for Marvin Jones and Raheem Mostert and, titles uh, both those years. Yeah. I, well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just interesting. And, and so, yeah, the idea of, you know, cause I'm a, I'm the type of owner that like, I'm going to ride guys into the sunset. Like that's just how it is for me. And Dave kind of said the same thing on his, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, it's all about perspective and what you're willing to do to make yourself better. It's interesting. Kind of falls in line with that theme of these playoff uh, behind the curtains too, with that chasing everyone in late September as well. Like, do you do you go in and do the Mostert deal or the T.Y. Hilton deal that might end up biting you in the ass? So yeah. those are deals that I always try to, I always think about, and then I can just never get myself to pull the trigger because I'm just like, I don't know. And maybe that's why I don't have another ring is because I'm not, I can't, I just, it's tough to have that mentality to just like completely sell out on a trade I know I'm going to regret a year from now. So... It's fun. Mostert, Mostert, sneaky upside, twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just it's it's a kind of just like a philosophical battle that I have with myself on a regular basis. Um, At poker here the other night, a trade we'll probably get to, but Corf kind of talked me into going out and getting one of those guys, and I I did. So let's talk. Let's talk about that right now. We you got two trades to talk about, and they're very different trades. We can start with the Julio trade. So yeah, like you're saying, I mean, that was definitely a player that, you know, Frazier had the opportunity to ride into the sunset, but then with the rebuild, obviously it makes sense for him to deal him. You get him at a fairly reasonable price. So, you know, what, what was it about Julio that wanted, that made you want to bring him back home? (laughs) Back home. Hey, (laughs) uh, you know, Tim, I'm sorry. We did end up doing a trade back. Yep. You um, gotta. Everybody's <laughs> titles are negated now. Frazier's know, and yours, uh, they're all gone. Seven years down the drain. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, bringing Julio home. I think Julio's another one of those guys like Saquon, where it's like he's the name you always want to have on your roster. It's obviously not twenty-three. Um, I guess the logic here was like 
this is a guy that I still think he he gets injured quite a quite a bit here. He's missed quite a few games last few seasons, but when he's on the field, um, he's been a guy that's still been putting up like wide receiver one numbers. Um, to be able to take a swing on a guy like that for a second and a third, I thought was for sure worth it. And like, I don't plan on banking on Julio at this point as an every week starter. Like this is this is a flex guy for me. This is a bi week fill in guy for me. So if I can get even just like a couple of those big weeks out of him, or honestly, like I'm not ruling out that he has a couple of wide receiver one seasons left in him. So to me, it was a good price on obviously a guy who's aging, but a guy that I feel like is still really talented and still impactful on the field. Just, you know, has a different vibe than like a guy like AJ Green, um, who you kind of just like felt was cooked like two years ago here. I still feel like Julio's got some gas in the tank. You saying bye week fill in and Julio in the same breath hurt me a little bit. <laughs> He's a flex. He'll be in the flex most of the season. Does that make you feel better? Yeah, a little bit. The other trade that you made, obviously a little bit different, but it goes back to what we just were talking about, which is go and get your guys. Joel Mixon has been one of your guys. I believe you were on record that season of saying you would have taken him 101 if you had had it. And now a few years later, the Mixon market has kind of been up and down. He moved around a little bit last year, and now he finally ends up on your team once and for all. So how much of that trade was I want to bring my guy home and how much of it was I'm trying to help my team? Or a little bit of both. Like you said, I've been a Joe Mixon guy. I was in him. I was into it, trying to get up in the draft to take him. I think he fell like four or five. He was my RB1 that season. Um, I was in on him after the draft, trying to pry him away from Caleb. I was in on him when uh, Caleb was kind of looking to move him last season. Um, don't recall if I was in on him when he went back to Caleb, because I think that trade kind of just happened. And then he was kind of out there. Uh, this season again, and I was like, damn it, I'm getting him on my team. <laughs> um, I, I still believe, like, I love, I still love the talent. I f- feel like that's, I feel like he get this every year, but that Cincinnati offense is looking like it's improving. Um, they're in hopefully a position to take an offensive lineman at five. Please, uh, maybe God. Like, I, this, this that's, is, that's a whole other conversation. Year. Yeah, but right. I know. I, it is. It's Joe Mixon's year. And he's had the flashes. Like, he's been good in the league. <clears throat> it's just been mm-hmm. some inconsistencies with the offense, with injury. And it's like, I'm just hoping he puts it together. Him and San- and like him and Sanders, I feel like two guys on like not dissimilar tracks where it's just like you believe and you like the talent and it just hasn't quite gotten there yet. And I guess mm-hmm. I believe in Joe Mixon, the talent more. Like, they're about the same age. I'd honestly rather have Joe Mixon than Sanders, just myself. I don't fault anyone for feeling differently, but it was really, and then like the Paris Campbell and get picking up the 2.05, that was just kind of, I felt like that alone was pretty good value for a guy like Brian Burns. Um, and I was more than okay with the Mixon-Sanders swap. So it was a nice little trade that I, I enjoyed. Yeah. It's always nice when you bring them home like that. We we all uh, cel- were celebrating for you when that when we did Caleb's. So 
I guess um, I also just feel like uh, Mixon has not probably not the safer player than Sanders, but I feel like if there's going to be one of them that's like a top five RB this season, it's going to be Mixon. Well, and it's crazy because he's going to be 25. Like he'll be 25 still. Um, and it feels like he's a guy that's been around for a minute, but you know he's barely older than a guy like Najee Harris. Yeah, and he's had pretty low workload too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yep. That was definitely a factor. Was the the young the young age that he was as a prospect, getting that second contract at 24. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, we got a lo- we got another longer one here, but that's obviously a good thing when we're talking to Dan. Always good to get caught up with you. But a few more things before we uh, hand over the megaphone. And the first is something that I prepared you for earlier, which is your second round picks that you touched on a few times. So you have a whole array of seconds. No firsts this year, but... Um, it's another deep class, another good class. The quarterback class is loaded. Um, expecting at least a handful of those guys to be available in the second. So, um, how, where are you at with the seconds? Are you willing to share any names, any positions, anything? Um, where you're at right now, uh, a couple weeks before the NFL draft? Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling good about the four seconds. Like, I do like the depth of this draft. Um, I'm gonna. Speaking of depth, like that's right now one thing that my lineup or my roster really does need is it. I like my starting lineup, but I am lacking a little bit of depth. So from on one hand, those seconds uh, feel like a really good opportunity to kind of start rebuilding some of that young depth. On the other hand, I might still talk myself into you know trying to send it again and maybe trying to make something happen with those seconds. I'm not convinced I'm making all of those picks mm-hmm. yet. Been kind of poking around at doing some things with them. Nothing's really happened yet. Obviously, everyone's still waiting for draft day, see some landing spots, see what happens. But I mean, I got guys that I like, but I guess I'm just not really ready to have a plan yet because I'm not sure if I'm making the picks. All of a sudden, those drinks start flowing and those seconds <laughs> start going. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> The story of my life, man. <laughs> All of a sudden, like someone that I thought was, yeah, I don't know. All of a sudden, someone's there at like 11, and I'm like, hmm, I could give all of my seconds for 11. And, you know, weird things happen, and I don't have a plan. I got guys that I like, and we're going to go into the draft, and we're just going to, if I make the picks, we're going to take guys that I like. Dude, I, I love that aspect of the web draft where it's we always have more trades in a slow draft somehow, and it's always when people are just absolutely hammered. <laughs> and you just wake up and you're like, what just happened? Yeah, it's a fun time. Well, okay, so I'm I am a little bit interested though, because I don't know if it's just me, but it seems as though there's a lot of buzz about people wanting to move up or move into those late first picks because Caleb has the two of them and we're not, and you know, Tim's kind of got his whole run there. Maybe even six comes into play. Has there any, has there been any consideration from you in terms of moving up with those picks? Or is that something that you would just need to wait and see how the board falls on draft night? 
Um, I'd definitely be willing to do things before draft night. I'm, I think I've shown that I'm willing to kind of position myself even before draft night, um, wisely or unwisely. Um, but maybe that stems from just wanting to go get my guy and I guess not caring that much where they land. But um, I've talked to a few people about moving up and some things that seem like they could happen. Um, pending draft day is kind of where everyone's at. Um, I've talked about moving back or out. Wouldn't be opposed to that. I wouldn't, you know, be opposed to picking up some players for those picks. Like, it's kind of all up in the air for me. I don't really have a concrete plan right now. Um, yeah, we might be making looking to make some moves yet. Um, I have one last question for you then before I pass it over, and that is you're going into 2021 once again with one of the most loaded rosters in the league, a feared roster, one that has garnered respect of all of the owners in web, and you may in fact be once again the favorite heading into the 2020 season. So what are you looking to do this off season to ensure that you're going into 2021 as an unquestioned favorite and that you can make a run for your first championship since 2013? You know, like I said, I'm to, I'm still a little torn whether I take these picks, build the depth and hope to hit on a, one of those second round picks like I've done in the past with a guy like Kamara or Jordan Howard there for a year or two. Um, or going out and try to improve that starting lineup with those picks. Um, one way or another, I feel like I'm in a good position to be at least as good as I was last year. Um, picking up a guy like Julio to throw in that flex spot or just come in as a bye week fill-in. Got this whole slew of second round picks to improve that depth or as ammo to go get a guy. Uh, feeling pretty good about the roster, and I think we're ready to send it again this year. Another guy is sending it. I love how earlier on it was like, yeah, I think I could make the playoffs. And now it's like the last few. It's like, yeah, I'm going to win the title. It's fine. I'm sending it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, all right. Uh, It is that moment. It is the time that web owners wait for their entire life. And that is for the web megaphone, the global platform to be passed over. Dan, is there anything that you would like to share with us, the league or the world yeah i mean i love you all this league is such a huge part of my life uh i think katie's sitting outside the room so i have to say it's the second most important thing in my life (laughs) (laughs) um it's it's you know been a blast over the nine years it's a grind every year um i just i love doing this with you guys i feel like it keeps it's going to keep us all together forever and that's really the best thing about it. Um, we're going to send it this year. We're going to go for that ring. Hold that belt for the first time as mine. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just wish you all a good season here. Got the draft coming up in two weeks. Can't wait to experience that with you guys. Um, into the web draft, which is always a wild ride. And then we just do it all over again. Um, it's truly a... Uh, 365 day a year experience here in web. Love it. I love Mm -hmm. it. Well, um, thank you, Dan, for coming on, for sharing your wisdom, for, uh, you know, teaching us all something as you once did 
many moons ago in 2013. Um, and you know what, man? I wish you a lot of uh, luck in the upcoming season, but uh, more than most, I'm wishing you not too much luck because I am a little bit afraid of you and I'd like to do a three-peat. That would be a fun one. So um, thanks for coming on, though. We'll have you on again soon. It was a pleasure and uh, best of luck. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yep. Let's make it a great week.